Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton. I'm the founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Ween, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's also a Transforming Community alumni, which means that he and I have been in relationship for a long time. We know how to have fun in a conversation, and we are looking forward to having fun together today. Hey everybody, my name is Steve Weens, as Ruth said, and I am so delighted to be playing host to Ruth in season one, Sacred Rhythms in the Life of the Leader. And we're gonna dive into episode one is the invitation to retreat. And when I was a part of the transforming community number six, back in 2011, I came beat up, I came dangerously tired, and it was one of the things, that two-year experience was one of the things that saved my life. Uh, Ruth, I love how you get into the hearts and souls of pastors and you provide a safe place for them. So my first question for you is this. When you talk to pastors and ministry leaders, what kinds of things do they tell you when they realize they're safe with you? Well, the first thing is the very thing that you mentioned, and that is how tired they are and how impossible it feels to establish a way of life that really works. And when you're, you know, when you're in a networking meeting where a ministerium is meeting and everybody's putting a brave face on it, nobody says that. But when they are alone in a private conversation, they will talk about how tired they are. They will talk about the stresses on their family life and how hard it is for their spouse to be a part of their lives when they're keeping the kind of schedule they're keeping. They might talk about the, the guilt that they feel about how much time they are or are not spending with their kids. They might talk about how they know they're not taking care of themselves, their bodies, they're not exercising, they're not eating right, they're drinking way too much coffee. I mean, they know they're not taking care of themselves, which is really alarming. The other thing that people talk about is the wounds that they have experienced yes. in their lives in ministry leadership. And oftentimes, wounding things happen to us, and we just shove it down and we go right on to the next ministry opportunity. Nobody has taught us how to deal with sadness and grief and betrayal and anger and resentment and frustration. And so we just bury that and go on to the next thing. But the problem is it's going to leak out. And the attempt to try to shove it down actually takes energy from us over time. And so you can tell that a leader has not dealt with his or her stuff when they're brittle, when they're defensive, when they overreact to things that happen in their current setting. Well, it's not about the current setting. It happened way back there, but they didn't, they didn't deal with it. Um, they might also talk about the lack of intimacy that they feel with God and how alarming that is to them, that they came into ministry because they loved God so much and had had an encounter with God that was life transforming. They wanted to bring that to others. But now that they've been in ministry for a while, it's been so long since they've experienced their own intimacy with God. I mean, it's that that's what it is. That's what that's what people can say when they're alone and safe. And of course, that's the beginning of a really good conversation. I remember maybe it was the first retreat you gave uh, a picture of pushing down mm -hmm. a beach ball yeah. into the water. Right. And it takes so much energy right. to do that mm -hmm. and keep it down there. Yeah. So much so that eventually that beach ball is going to come up. That's right. And so I think uh, one of the things that I know is on your heart is to allow pastors yes. and leaders mm -hmm. to let that beach ball come up. Right, right. No matter how ugly it looks like, mm -hmm. because only by doing that is how we'll tend to our soul. Exactly. And the other problem with pushing the beach ball down, of course, we can do it. You expend energy to do it, but you can do it. But it can't last forever. And so eventually it will come popping back up. But when it comes up without you being prepared for it, then it's going to be ugly. Yeah. Um, and it's going to probably result in an, a destructive outburst of anger or 
acting it out sexually if you haven't dealt with, you know, issues of your sexuality very well. And so when you don't allow it to come up in, in a way that has potential fruit, like with a spiritual director, with a counselor, with a spiritual friend, or in God's presence, the way it's going to come up is going to be ugly, and it will probably be destructive to the people around you and to yourself. Yes. It's a hard truth, isn't it? So, Ruth, you yeah. talk about that as if you might have some experience with that mm-hmm. personally. So tell me a time in your life, tell us a time where you felt like you were dangerously Mm -hmm. tired and maybe were spending a lot of energy. Well, in my early 30s was the first time that I became aware of the fact that I was dangerously tired. I'm a pastor's kid, and that's an important thing for people to know because the church, the world of the church and Christian ministry is the world I know the best. And so when you grow up in the church as a pastor's kid, you see a lot of the seamy underbelly of life and ministry. And I literally can see myself as a child sort of looking up at it all and seeing the bad things that happened to my dad and seeing the dysfunction in church in the church world. And because I was a spiritually attuned young girl, I knew there was something really wrong with what I was seeing. And then things would happen that were painful and detrimental to my own father or to me personally. And so not knowing what to do with any of that. And because, you know, if you're a pastor's kid, nobody wants to hear you saying those things. There's no safe place for a pastor's kid to talk about stuff like that. So all you can do is shove it down. But then in my early 30s, it started to catch up with me. So I was in my, I'd been in leadership since I graduated from college. But at that point, I was recognizing anger that I had not resolved, but it would come out in a flash. And I would like be, what's that? You know, I'm not, I don't think of myself as an angry person. What is that anger? Or there would be a deep well of sadness that would get touched and there'd be tears. And I'd wonder, what is that? I think of myself as being a victorious Christian. You know, what is that well of sadness? Or there would be questions, you know, deep questions under the surface of my busyness that would sometimes come to the surface and I'd realize I don't have the answer to that question. It's a really important question. It might have been theological, but it also might have had to do with practice, like what we're actually doing in the church. But because I didn't have a place to go and ask those questions because they weren't altogether safe, then I just had to shove questions down as well. And so I knew the Bible verse about the peace that passes understanding, you know, that we all have that as Christians, but I can tell you for sure that that's not what my own inner experience was. And I realized that it was getting serious enough that if I didn't step off the treadmill for a while and really deal with myself and deal with God, separate out the threads of God and church and my own, you know, dad and all of that, if I didn't take a step out and really look at those issues, I would never be able to be in ministry in a healthy way. Wow. So did you quit your job? Did you take a sabbatical? Mm -hmm. I did a couple years. And not only did I take a sabbatical from work, which was ministry, because that's all, that's the only thing I'm really prepared to do. um, But I also dropped out of church altogether, which is a scary thing to say. It was very scary for me because I'd been raised in the church. So I couldn't imagine that someone could step out of church and still be okay. Um, It was something to communicate that within my pastor family, you know, to say to my own pastor dad, you know, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. Um, and it was scary in terms of my own sense of identity because the only way I knew how to understand myself was as a person in the church. It scared me spiritually because I wondered what would happen to me spiritually. Would I fall off the spiritual path? Yeah. Like, wow. And then I, and then I had family. I had three young children, three young girls. And so our, my husband and I had to talk to them about the fact that mommy was taking a break so that she could just be with God and God alone. And that was scary too. You know, what impact would that have on my daughters to see their mother who had been a spiritual leader actually step out for a while? So it was very risky. I would say it's the most risky thing I've ever done. Wow. Mm -hmm. So your invitation to retreat Mm -hmm. looked like leaving ministry, Mm -hmm. leaving, going Mm -hmm. to the local church, Mm -hmm. 
and starting to cultivate space with God. Mm-hmm. That was for... apart from all that. Gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, for many pastors, that gets so scary yeah. because the mm-hmm. big question that's lurking is, is there anything? Right. Do right. I have a relationship mm-hmm. with God beyond all these things I do for God? Right. And if I step out, will there ever be a path back? Or right. is this the beginning of falling into heresy and, and kind of leaving the tradition that I've um, grown up in? Right. The questions are very, very frightening. And I think in the beginning, when a pastor or a leader sees themselves sort of heading towards the need to do something rather radical for themselves, they really wish that they could get it all worked out without, without having to do anything yes. radical, you know, like that. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you wish, can I just keep all this going because it's my salary, it's my success, it's yeah. how I do Can I just keep all this going and still do this journey? Oh, and that's a, that's a question for discernment, isn't it? And you need a spiritual director at that moment. You really need a spiritual direction at that director at that moment to to discern that question. Okay, and so just briefly talk mm-hmm. about what a spiritual director's role is. Yeah. I assume some people listening might not even know what that is. Right. Well, a spiritual director is someone helps who helps you to listen to God in your life. Someone who's well versed in the ways of the soul. Someone who understands the spiritual journey and all of its dynamics. Someone who understands spiritual practices and can actually guide you into spiritual practices to hold you. Because even though I left the church, I didn't leave spiritual practices. In fact, I walked more deeply into the traditional practices of the church. And I needed a spiritual director to teach me those to hold me in those, to process with me what happened in the context of those disciplines. Um, And so a spiritual director can really hold you um, at this time and actually tell you you're okay. Yes. That's what I needed about with my spiritual director was for her to say, yeah, this is what it's like. This is what the deeper spiritual journey is like. You're okay. You're going to be okay. You're still in God. Just because you stepped out of the church for a while, you haven't fallen out of God. And I needed that desperately. Otherwise, I'm telling you, I do not think I could have taken that step without a spiritual director. It would have been far too scary yeah. for me. And yet there's this in the evangelical realm, there's this autonomy, this lone mm-hmm. rangerism, this I can do it, I can handle it. So I'm glad you brought that up. We need companionship mm-hmm. as we walk into mm-hmm. these really, really risky uh, and difficult waters. Yeah, and can I say we need more than just companionship? We actually need guidance. Yes. And I think for uh, Protestant pastors in particular, not the Catholic pa- uh, clergy so much, but Protestant pastors are used to being the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. They love their leadership authority positions, and they like being that in everybody else's life. So for a pastor or a leader to enter into spiritual direction, in my mind, it is a discipline of submission, yes. where in one place in our lives, at least, we are actually submitting to leadership and guidance, and we're saying, you are more well-versed than I am, and I'm going to submit myself to your leadership. That all by itself is a transformative discipline it was to me i i am a leader type i I like to be in in the leadership function but wow to submit myself and to come into spiritual direction so fragile and vulnerable and open and needing to be led with questions i had no answers to that by itself changed who i i fundamentally am yeah wow uh so um this idea of being dangerously tired seems to be the new normal Mm -hmm. for pastors and you're a pastor's kid, so mm-hmm. you saw your dad be a pastor uh, quite a few years ago. And But now mm-hmm. pastors are supposed to be CEOs, strategic experts, mm-hmm. Bible experts, uh, in addition to mm-hmm. counseling and all right. that stuff. So uh, how do you react to this new normal when you see pastors mm-hmm. come into your presence yeah. so tired? 
It's funny. It doesn't surprise me anymore, but it does because I'm surprised that we're all accepting this as Ugh. as the normal. Because, you know, the truth is we're all creating this together, you know? Like all of us are buying into this together right. and deciding that this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to compete. We're going to try to get big. We're going to do what it takes, you know, to have this thing that seems kind of successful. And um, it doesn't surprise me, and yet it does surprise me that that any of us are willing to accept this as, as a way of life and that any of us think this is glorifying to God. Right. I mean, how can it be? Right. You know? So it is the new normal. There's no place that I go right now where, where this is not the underlying reality that pastors and clergy people are just exhausted underneath it all and don't seem to know how to get themselves out of it. Um, it is, it's in the culture now. It's the subculture. And I will say that it's very different than when I was a pastor's kid. My dad's responsibilities were much simpler than pastor's responsibilities are right now. So what you just described, the pastor as CEO, the pastor as managers of multiple staff, the pastor as an innovator, uh, the pastor as someone who can draw large crowds through his or her preaching, but then also do very well interpersonally. I mean, the expectations are very different today than they were when my dad was a pastor and what I observed um, in his life. Definitely. And as I think about that, I remember just a couple of days ago, one of my friends was sitting at a coffee shop overhearing, because that's where pastors hang out together at, anyway, at a coffee shop. And she said it was so uh, disturbing, but their conversation mm-hmm. was, how can we make church more attractive yeah. to people mm-hmm. so we can nab more people? That was mm-hmm. their actual language. And I think we might laugh at that language, but there's the pressure that pastors feel to grow and and growing always means growing in attendance that's right mm-hmm. it never means anything other yeah. than that. and your physical plant i think that's the other thing these days is you know being able to build that brand spanking new building with all the innovations in it that's the other thing that's kind of a litmus test of whether or not yeah. you're succeeding well i saw an ad a friend sent this to me recently where it was about easter and it said that the headline was how to pack out your easter service Lord have mercy. I'm like, is that what we're about? Is Jesus' resurrection not enough for us? Like now you need a kit to help you to pack out your Easter service as though that were the litmus test of whether you succeed on Easter morning. Like that just almost broke my heart to take Easter, which is the highest point of our Christian experience, and to talk about how to pack it out. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, So... uh, you have dedicated the last 15 years of your life to strengthening the soul of leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you talk a lot about helping leaders assess the actual state of their soul. Right. So beyond packing out the services, beyond all that stuff, you help leaders assess their soul. H- how do you do that? Well, in the first retreat of the Transforming Community, which you mentioned, I will guide pastors through what I call an assessment. I don't love the word assessment. It's more of a time of gentle noticing where we, um, in a safe environment, actually gently notice how things are with our souls. And we invite God to be the one to guide that process so that we're not spiraling into morbid subjectivity or making an intellectual exercise out of it. And so we're not rationalizing, you know, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into more truth than we might have right now. And it's a 15 question or 15 categories that we look at. And the categories have to do with whether or not we're functioning more out of odds and shoulds in our calling, whether we're in touch with who we really are in Christ, and 
and working out of our calling or whether we're always reacting to other people's expectations. Uh, there are questions about whether or not we have time to notice the burning bush in our own backyard or are we just always running so fast there's no time to notice. Questions about how we're caring for our physical selves, whether that's our intimate relationships, whether that's our bodies, whether it's whether you know time for our hobbies and the things that we just love, whether or not we have time and space in our lives to actually discern the will of God or if we're just reacting and doing strategic planning. Um, all sorts of categories where I invite pastors to place themselves on a continuum of always, often, sometimes, rarely, or never. And that is always an eye-opening experience for pastors because, first of all, it identifies categories that we don't even think about all yeah. the time. And that it invites, it connects those categories with uh, the, the well-being of your soul. Like some people will say, well, how is the well-being of my body and whether I'm right. taking care of my body? Right. What does that have to do with my soul? <laughs> Well, I really believe that how we are doing at being human beings is very much connected with our spirituality. How are we at living in this gift that God has given us that we call a body? Um, that's a part of our spiritual life. Yes. Um, and if we're ruining ourselves at that level, we're not doing very well at, at the soul level either. Um, so that's a really important moment for pastors at the very early stages of the community experience. And then we send people out into four hours of solitude, you know, to actually be with God with what that stirred up. And I encourage people to not go too quickly to get to the solution side of things, because oftentimes leader types, it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this worked out. I'm going to figure this out and fix it. But instead, I encourage us to sit in that spiritual reality that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And to just trust that if you can sit with the truth of what you're seeing for four hours in God's presence yeah. and trust that God's going to lead you, you're not going to fix it out of your own human, human striving. Because if you could fix it, you would have by now, right? But we sit with God with that, yeah. and we say to God, what are we going to do about that? The we being me and God. Yep. We trust the fact that God is with us in whatever it is that we're knowing and observing, and that it's God's job to lead us out of where, yes. of where where we are, which is a very restful thing all by itself, right? It's not another thing on my to-do list. It's allowing God to guide me in God's time and in God's way as I'm able to bear it, you know? You know, the first night of my first retreat, I had a dream, and I dreamt that I had overslept, mm -hmm. and I would missed, mm -hmm. you know, the whole yes. morning session. Yeah. And the dream, I was mm -hmm. panicky. Couldn't I was get just, there. oh, my gosh, you know? <laughs> And then I woke up yeah. and, and I, I realized, oh, I, I, I didn't miss it. Yeah. And then um, I, I do believe in this mysterious moment, mm -hmm. God spoke to me and said, you're here. You're not going to miss what I have for you. Yes, yes. And, and what a gift mm -hmm. for, you know, day one for me to, because I think, Retreat can even be the striving. Yes. Oh, know? absolutely. Like, I want to get like, it all. I want to take every note. I'm going to do yep. everything she says. I'm going to be really great at these practices. Yep. Yep. I'm going to leave here with all sorts of insight that I'm yep. going to li live into when I get home. And I'm going to get done yeah, with it. That's you know? right. Like three days yeah, of retreat. That's right. I'm done. Check it off. Yep. <laughs> and so, and I love what you, you, you very gently blow up that mm -hmm. notion and, and you say, this is a restful place mm -hmm. where God is doing, God initiates, yes. we partner with God, and um, that can't be overstated. Yeah, thank you. It's so funny that you mentioned having that, because I've had that dream before too, yeah. but it's often about speaking. Yeah. Where I'm in, a, I'm in a hotel somewhere on one side of town, and the speaking is happening over there oh, yeah. at a stadium or something. Like, it's this really big, grandiose thing. And I literally, I can't get yeah. there. So it's so funny. I think maybe all of us as leaders have the dream of somehow not being able to do what we oh, think yeah. we're supposed to be doing. My recurring dream as a speaker yeah. is I am backstage mm -hmm. and I'm being introduced 
and my shoe is off. Yes, I'm and suddenly I suddenly realize my shoe is <laughs> that's off. That's right. I can't get or, or, out or there. Or I don't have a shirt on. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. So there's all these things of you're not rest, yeah. settle down, <laughs> settle down. Um, so one of the things about being invited into retreat that I love that you bring up is this invitation to name your desire, your, your soul's desire. And so uh, you talk a lot about the necessity of naming it as it relates to cultivating a way of life that really works, uh, especially as it relates to our ongoing commitment to transformation. So um, for pastors and ministry leaders, desire might seem like a bad word, a word to mm-hmm. avoid, a word that can only be in the bad yeah. category. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you use the word desire, especially as it relates to invitation into retreat. Yeah. Well, one of the things that does happen really naturally as we get quiet during a retreat time is that once all the stimulation starts to settle down, we do start to get in touch with the deeper longings of our hearts, and that is frightening. And so one of the reasons to teach about that so early on is to point people to the idea that in Jesus' life, when he was working with people and wanting to move the conversation deeper into spiritual truth, he would often ask them some version of the question, what is it you want me to do for you? He did that with the disciples. He did it with Bartimaeus on the road. He did it with James and John and their mother. Some version of the question, what is it you want me to do for you? Which points us to the fact that there are desires within us that are really deeply good, and there are desires within us that God longs to meet. Psalm 37.4, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that, that indicates that there are desires placed deep within us that God placed there and that God longs to meet. And so it is really sad and unfortunate that the language of desire and passion has been reduced to being about sexuality or the passions that will take us in directions that wouldn't be healthy and good for us. So I do seek to reclaim the language of desire and to say, this is a conversation that Jesus longs to have with you. Can you imagine, can you put yourself in the story of blind Bartimaeus and imagine Jesus asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And the reason that question is so upending for pastors is because we're used to saying to Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Right. And so the idea that Jesus would turn it on its ear and ask us that question, I'm like, what? What? (laughs) You know, Jesus wouldn't ask me that. That's not even the right question. And yes, it is. And yet it is. It's right there in scripture that that's the question Jesus wants to be with us with. And the other thing that's powerful about the issue of desire is that if we can answer it truly, that means that a whole world of choice opens up for us because then we have the choice to begin to order our lives or to arrange our lives for what it is that we say we really want rather than continue to be driven by our egos, driven by external expectations of our culture, those sorts of things. And boy, it's very empowering to realize if I can name my desire in Jesus' presence and be with Jesus with that, that the path before me opens up because I can now make choices that are more consistent with what I say I really want and not get to the end of my life and regret the choices that I've made. So beautiful. And I love that this question Jesus asks them and us is a real question. Mm-hmm. It's not a, I know what the answer should mm-hmm. be, so right. I'm going to ask it. For It's actually, mm-hmm. no, what is it that you want me to right. do for you? And if we can take that in, 
it's such a vulnerable question, it actually. Is. It is. It, it takes us, us to, to the tender, tender place. The other thing is that the question is very challenging, and it might be sort of like peeling back the onion. That's the other thing that pastors experience on retreat, and they get frustrated because they want to answer that question right, and they want to answer it right away. So they want to say, well, the answer is Jesus, you know, like the kid in the Sunday school class who, you know, the teacher is describing something that's brown and furry and has a big tail, (laughs) and the little kid says, well, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus, you know. Um, We want the answer to be the right answer, and sometimes it takes a while to peel back the onion from, you know, well, I'd like to be this mega church pastor that gets written up in Christianity today, right. you know, to peel it back and realize that there are, you know, deeper desires of the heart. But once you get there, wow, I tell people, when you get there, when you get to that rock bottom desire, you will know it. And in yes. fact, you'll probably be undone. You'll probably be sobbing on the floor, which is how it happened for me the first time a spiritual director sat mm-hmm. with me kept asking me the question, but if you weren't doing this, what it was, it was a book I was writing and I was really struggling with it. And she said, well, if you weren't writing this book, what would you be doing? And I, I gave some sort of answer. She said, well, and if you weren't writing this book, what would you be doing? And eventually the answer was, I just want to be with God. And I was on the floor sobbing wow. at the end of that series. She just kept pushing in with that question. If you weren't doing that, what would you be doing? And at the end of that conversation, I was literally on the floor. I just want to be with God. I just want to be with God. And I'm like, is that really who I am? I didn't even know it. I've gotten so out of touch with that. Wow. You know? Wow. And that's your truest identity in the end as well. Yes. Whatever, however you put it, everybody's going to have their own words for it, which is so lovely. Words that come straight up from your own guts, you know, that that speak such a truth of your life that it it really undoes you. Yeah. I agree, and, and and I think um, in my journey with this, the I want to be on the front page of Christianity mm-hmm. today. You know, even if you answer that, there's this gentle okay, okay. Yeah. You want to do that? Of course, you want that. Sure. <laughs> you know, instead of feeling shame about that, yes. oh, I shouldn't. That's so selfish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants yeah. that. Yep. But let's go one yes. layer deeper. Yeah. And, and then let's keep. Going. Mm-hmm. I, I love that because. Yeah. It is gently yeah. noticing mm-hmm. the honest answer. If that's the honest answer, say yeah, it. That's right. And then I talk about just kind of pull on that thread then yep. and pull on it and see what there is, you know, and eventually you might get to the place where, you know, you're being able to talk about issues of significance. I just want to feel like I'm significant. I just want to feel like I've made a difference. I want to get yeah. my dad's approval. I yeah. want to know that God loves me. I mean, that there are all these desires underneath that that that's that just stands for something yeah. that's deeper within right. you that probably is really true and real and that God wants to meet. Yeah. Parker Palmer tells this story about uh, he was invited to be the president mm-hmm. of of a college. Yeah. And he went through this clearness committee and and they asked him what would you like about being mm-hmm. president and he said well I wouldn't like this and that and this and he listed this whole yeah. long thing mm-hmm. and then finally. Um, <laughs> He said the one thing he would really like is getting his mm-hmm. picture in the paper. Right. Yeah, and then because he was he was sitting with people who were spiritually yeah. very clear, yeah. they said to him, well, isn't there a better way <laughs> that you could get your picture in the newspaper? Isn't there an easier way than being a you know the president of a Christian college? Yeah. So that's now that's a wonderful spiritual companion right there. Yes. To say, well, isn't there an easier yes. way you could get whatever it is yeah. that you're trying to get out of this? So great. It's <laughs> yes. not shaming. It's just no. okay. Mm-hmm. Just curious. Oh, Ruth, thank you so much. Uh, this episode, invitation to retreat, and uh, looking at being dangerously tired was so helpful. So good. Next episode, we're going to talk about the invitation to solitude and silence. 
and particularly what pastors need to say no to in order to say yes to that. Anything you want to say to tee that up for the next episode? Well, just that the invitation to solitude and silence is uniquely challenging for leaders. And I want to talk about why is it so challenging for us as leaders, even though we might be able to preach about it in a compelling way, why is it so challenging for us to actually do it? But then also, what are the benefits Right. when we can push through the challenges and actually enter in? Beautiful. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for listening. We will see you in episode two. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts out there, and we are grateful that you've chosen to spend this 30 minutes with us. Thank you so much, Steve, for such a great set of questions and for taking your own step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. Now, I'd like to ask you a favor. I'd like to ask if you would help us to launch this podcast by doing a couple things. First, would you download these three episodes on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast? Now, I admit I know nothing about what I'm saying, but I'm still asking you to do it because the guys around here are telling me that this is the cool thing to do. Um, Also, if you would leave a rating and a review in iTunes, that would be great as well. Thank you so much for helping us in this way. If you're a pastor or a clergy person or hold a leadership position in some Christian ministry organization, and if you want to forge a stronger connection between your soul and your leadership, and if the topic of today strikes a chord with you, um, consider this as an invitation to learn more about the Transforming Community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for pastors and Christian leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture. It's animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation in community. It's informed by the richness and the diversity of our Christian heritage. Here in the Transforming Center, we are excited to be celebrating our 15-year anniversary, and the launch of this podcast series is a part of that celebration. So as we celebrate, we want to give a gift to you, and we'd like to waive the $50 application fee for the Transforming Community through April 15th. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit our blog, transformingcenter.org, find the show notes for this episode, and we'll also have links there to the other resources that we have mentioned in this podcast. Thank you for listening. We pray that these resources and this conversation will be an ongoing blessing for you in your life and leadership.